0: Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers is a bi-weekly podcast presented by Partners in Promise. Partners in Promise is a nonprofit dedicated to protecting the rights of military children in special education. Large organizations like the military have learned to love the status quo, but at Partners in Promise we believe in being disruptive as we have learned that having easy conversations rarely leads to real change in special education or in the military. We are storytellers who aren't afraid to get a little disruptive. Are you a military change maker who wants to hear more disruptive stories? Consider sponsoring an episode of Disruptive Storytelling and together we can work to combat stigma within the military. For more information, email info at partnersinpromise.org and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for understanding our short hiatus as we took a break for some much needed family time. Partners in Promise is hosting a brand new season of our podcast. We're so excited to talk to you today and for the rest of the coming months about data. I know that sounds... Maybe a little intimidating, (laughs) but we're hoping to combine that data with something that's a little bit more familiar, stories. One of our mottos at Partners in Promise is we heart data, but stories complete us. And we believe that looking at our data and looking at our information shared by families is key to finding success within the military community as leaders are trying to improve programs or families are just looking to access resources, data is super important. So we really heavily rely on that here at Partners in Promise. Today, we're going to kick off this podcast by sharing the results of our survey data. But rather than me, you know, The typical host, uh, Jen Barnhill, hosting and interviewing myself, I have a very special guest with us today, our amazing Mary Monrose, who is a Partners in Promise team member. And I'll let her introduce herself. Hey, Mary, how's it going?
1: Hey, Jen. Thanks for having me on. As Jen mentioned, my name is Mary Monrose. I am the advocacy officer um, with Partners in Promise. So let's kick this off.
0: Yeah. And so just so Mary, Mary is a Navy spouse. She hosts her own podcast. We'll give some details about that podcast in the show notes as well. So we are in good hands this episode. Also, Mary is a resident of Hawaii. So she's been, you know, if you've been paying attention to anything with the news, she's been through it right now. Where are you recording from right now? Uh, And what time is it, Mary?
1: (laughs) It is currently... Let me take a look at my watch. It is currently 5.04 a.m. I am currently recording on the conference floor on a hotel floor.
0: (laughs) That is what you do when you're a military spouse. You make it work whenever you can. And we just are so excited. So I'm going to mute myself and kick it over to you as our host for this episode.
1: All right. So you mentioned the survey. So let's just dive right in. Tell us about the survey. Why was it conducted?
0: I'm going to pass that over to Michelle because she's, you know, our, oh yeah. Speaking of, we have a whole other guest, <laughs> our, our founder and executive director, Michelle Norman. Hey, Michelle, would you, would you share that? Over hey, with me? so good morning, everybody.
2: Thank you again, Mary, for joining us at 5.0 oh, dark in uh, Hawaii. I appreciate that. <laughs> you do, what you have to do sometimes. And uh, I, I really appreciate you waking up and, and sharing with us today as we talk a little bit about our survey. So again, partners in promise, you know, I will talk a little bit about you know surveys in general. The first survey that we had was several years ago. and really, they have evolved over time. You know, I think in our first, you know several surveys we had, we were just kind of trying to get a pulse of what was going on in the the world of our exceptional military families. First one was very grassroots. I know that Jen will probably be you know squirming a little bit to hear about it. It was very qualitative, a Google form very, very basic and simple survey, but we just kind of wanted to know what was happening within the EFMP community. And of course there was a lot of you know leading questions and a, a lot of bias as well, but then Jennifer joined us and we have turned things around and the quality of our surveys has gone up exponentially. I'm so excited. Last year we noted with Jen on board um, that there were knowledge gaps about the EFMP program and special education rights. We also knew that there was a connection to EFMP enrollment and special education satisfaction and that there was just gaps in general, you know, in receiving special ed services. And so this year, you know, we really took in more of a deep dive into some of those concerning results that we received. And so we looked at kind of like we're living this highly mobile military lifestyle. You know, we have children with special needs. How is this lifestyle really impacting us in and being able to, I guess, partake in the, the protections that are out there federally and state, all these fantastic systems that are set up for us, how are, how are we really, you know, accessing that? So those are some of the questions that we looked into. Let's look at the timelines. You know, IDA is very specific on the receipt of certain services or having certain testing completed in a certain amount of time through Part A and Part B of that law you know, how are our families um, meeting those timelines? Also, how familiar, you know, are our families with these support systems that are in place, the EFMP program, the the MIC-3, Interstate Compact, other services that are out there to help them. And then the other thing we were gonna look into was, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways for families to uh, to resolve differences um, when it comes to the implementation of their child's IEP. You know, our, Are the families taking that next step to filing a complaint and if they're not taking that next step you know what are the barriers there Um, and how can we you know help these families be able to utilize those protections that are in place and so that's what our last survey was about and i'll let jen talk about the the big results um, that came from it but we're thrilled there's a lot of great data that came from this we're so excited about the the reach that we had within our efmp community And I'm looking forward to um, talking more about it. It's just being able to collaborate with Ohio State University was a fantastic opportunity for us this year. And I really think that we've learned a lot um, with the folks that we've collaborated with. Over to you, Jen.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. Um, So Mary, you're just like, let's just jump in, right? It's really hard to convey survey data over a podcast. So this is like an area of like, sweat. I'm like, how are we going to do this? So I'm going to try as best I can <laughs> to give you a little bit of a story of, of how the data might play out that either through visual or some kind of description. And so this year we surveyed over a people from across all service branches. So we had a really great sample size, which if you don't know anything about surveys or data that matters, because if you have a really small Survey finding, you only have a couple people, then you might have a lot of squeaky wheels in that data. And it's really not going to be representative of the community that you're looking at. So we're really thrilled that we had a really good turnout this year. And we let the data speak for itself and tell its own stories. And so there were three main areas that we noted, as kind of Michelle gave an overview there were the real, perceived, and unknown barriers for our military families to receive special education, essentially. And I'm going to break it down in those three different areas. So we'll talk about the real delays. So, I mean, every military family knows exactly what it's like when you move to a new location. You have to call TRICARE. You have to wait in line, uh, in the queue, so to speak, uh, on hold for a very long time. I don't
1: know about you ladies,
0: <laughs> how, how, how is this a familiar experience to you? Or am I just like making this up? Is that? <laughs> no, no, no,
1: I- <laughs> definitely not making this up. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Because you know, the waiting game that we play, we kind of come to expect it, right? We budget time in our day. We budget the time for that call to transfer over to a new location, or we wait in a line, you know, to get a new ID card. We're waiting a lot and we expect to wait. And, and you know, when it comes to getting a new ID card or waiting on hold for TRICARE, those delays, you know, however annoying or very, they're not good for your mental health, they they may not have um, a lasting impact. And, and so when we're looking at delays in special education, we really need to think of it from the concept of, you know, lost opportunity costs for our students. So I'll give you some numbers, and then we're going to kind of understand what that means, you know, how this waiting on hold for education really impacts our students. So we found that when a new student is transferring to a new state, that only 22% of them reported having their individualized education program or 504 plan transfer to a new location. And, And for a little background, those programs are individually designed instruction for that particular student. So if a student needs a a chair that's close to the front um, with a 504 plan, or they need a one-on-one aid, those are the things that are outlined in these plans to help that student access education just as if they were in the jet ed population. So only 22% accepted that program right away. And that's a big deal, that's a delay. We also noticed that there were delays in excess of 354 days from identification, first-time identification of a need. So, you know, that gut feeling we often talk about as parents from something's not right here, or a teacher has flagged something from that early identification to an actual evaluation. And then we also looked at another period of time. We looked at The point of time from the evaluation until something called an eligibility determination within special education. And there was a 204 day waiting period on average, which is a, is a problem of course, but technically it's actually close to a violation of law. (laughs) Um, and it's a procedural violation. And I know, you know, the, our our founder and board member, Grace Kim will kind of get on me about going into the details of this, but The Individuals with Disabilities Education Act gives a guideline of timelines. And some of the findings that we had showed that these timelines were being violated. So, this is why it's not just, you know, because we've expected it, we expect to wait on hold, we expect to be in line at the DMV or getting our ID card. Our families are expecting to see these delays. And that's a huge deal because these delays are equivalent to about a quarter of a two-year tour of duty. And that's huge for our special education students. <laughs> so I, I, I pause there for a second because that is huge. When we think about how our families care and love for their children, they want to provide that education. And so when we look at it from that perspective of a quarter of a tour of duty, of a two-year tour that is a huge chunk of education that is lost. Absolutely. And it's not just education,
2: it's those supports as well. And when those supports are not given in a timely basis, again, that stress and burden falls back on the caregiver, you know, the spouse, the parents. You know, I always bring this up. It could be as simple as that special education bus that is not being provided for that student so they're not able to whatever reason you know be able to be on a general general education bus again that goes back to the caretakers the caregiver the parent it could be that one on one aid again that this nonverbal child may need in order to access an education maybe that child's placed in a in a inappropriate placement for that time period and so again there's a lot of regression that probably happens within that time frame and so those delays, as we'll talk about later on, it compounds each and every time you move. And it's very difficult, you know, for our families to recoup those services and access those protections, because again, they're moving, you know, again, two to three years later.
1: Yeah.
0: So, you know, we've thrown a lot at you so far, but I'm going to jump into the second primary finding that we found. We talk about the real delays that families are experiencing. And then we talk about the perceived lack of recourse. I'm going to try to frame this, and it's not going to be exactly correct. So, Michelle is going to probably unmute and yell at me for this analogy. But, you know, as a person who learns slowly about special education, I kind of liken it to driving a car. There's something called an individualized education program. In that education program, you are a part, you are one member of a team, and everyone in your team is in this car. And you, the goal and the destination for where you're going and you're learning how to drive, right? So you want to go to your destination. Your destination is an education for your child. Everyone in the car, uh, you know, in theory and, and hopefully in practice want to go in the same direction. Maybe, you know, they see how they get there is slightly different, but you as the parent, it are in the driver's seat. Cause you know, your kid, right? You know, the things that When they go home, they're reacting positively. They have great social interactions, et cetera. You are in the car. But when you're a military parent and you're going from state to state, the backseat drivers and the scenery and the laws all start to change all around you. So you have to learn the the rules of the road every time you go to a new location. So, you know, sometimes you have backseat drivers who are just like, you're doing a great job. This is great. We, we are a good team. We're doing great. And then sometimes you you have people in your car with you that it's just not working out. You're not agreeing on the best route to get to where you want to go, which is that education for your child. And so if you want, as a member of this this team, this IEP team, or just as a parent, if you want to say, Hey, I I don't think this is working. We're not getting towards the direction fast enough, or, you know, it's not showing my child is not showing progress. You are allowed to kind of raise your hand and and raise a red flag. And one of the ways you do that is through filing claims, special education complaints. And so that can be from informal complaints to directly to the school district, all the way to filing a due process claim, which is, you know, essentially a legal filing. And well, so how does this relate to our survey data? So when we looked at what families choose to do when they have a negative experience, we noted that only 20% of total respondents have ever filed a complaint. But when we asked those who hadn't, if they could share the reasons that they hadn't filed, 74% had a reason to file a complaint, but didn't. Um, And they didn't file for a variety of reasons, but the primary reason that they cited was shocking. It was, I didn't think it would help. There have been, it's kind of like that normalization of of pain, that waiting on hold for TRICARE or waiting to get your ID at the PASS and ID office. We have normalized these delays um, and to the point where our families feel that they don't have access to recourse and again i'm not going to throw tons more statistics at you but one last one is for a family who had a recent pcs the average number of months they waited to receive special education services was 5.75 months and then when you look at folks who cited being happy with their special education services and and their current experiences that number only drops to 4.7 months. So it, we have normalized waiting <laughs> and that is really, really hard for our kiddos. Qualitative responses just showed that our families are exhausted. They don't, they believe that if they don't keep fighting, that their child won't get any education at all. And it's, that sound, maybe sounds extreme, but that's the perception that we're talking about, the perception of not having a way forward. And we know that if we're making decisions that impact our kids, it's very personal and it impacts our readiness as for the military service members and and mental health for military spouses who act as caregivers for their children. So um I want to pause for a second Mary or uh, or Michelle does anyone have any questions <laughs> I feel like I'm in a in a class we ch- <laughs> chat about, chat it, about it there's a lot of stories <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's not
2: surprising to me to see how it has been normalized and I think that you know again you're just weighing the risk and you're trying to figure out is this worth my time to elevate it to the next level and a lot of times, like you said, we're balancing this military life that has an enormous amount of stressors associated with it. And you're looking at how much time that you're going to be investing this current duty station. You know, perhaps you can augment some of the services that are not happening in the school with outside providers. It's just, it really does become a decision matrix for these families and uh, I was shocked, I will admit, with the 4.7 months on average of those who were po- had positive feelings in a school district and they've waited that long for services. I do think that 20% is a, is, is a little low for, for filing any type of complaint. And again, it could be just a very informal one with, with your school district. It could be just with even maybe speaking at a school board meeting about certain things that you feel, you know, that could be improved. You know, I, I wish there was a way, and I think we can talk about that later um, when we do have our webinar in February, you know, how can we make it easier for our families to be able to be more um, active, be a more active participant in the IEP and the, the way the IEP is implemented and ensuring that their child has access to faith. Because I do think this is a huge barrier for them because we learn from these Anytime you look at due process complaints, state complaints, you know, there's always positives that come out of there, and sometimes it's just for that individual child, but sometimes if it's systemic, it have, it will it will be the positive impact for all the children in that particular school district or in that state. And so, um, there's definitely some opportunities there for our military families to to be more active and to be able to to get some type of help in, in a quicker way than what we're currently seeing, because. You know, over a quarter of time in a tour a tour of duty. It's a, uh, it goes by fast as it is.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. So we've kind of gone over the real delays, the perceived lack of recourse. And then the last one, I'm going to really date myself and marry I, as a younger military spouse. Please don't mock me or think lesser of me, but
1: never. You're telling my age.
0: <laughs> okay. So, um, The last primary barrier that we noted for military families uh, was a lack of understanding or what we call the unknown barriers. And my story that kind of relates to it is that amazingly wonderful commercial that I remember from Saturday morning television when I was a little kid was... You know, the knowledge is power, and the more you know, doo. I can't even do it. Someone else want to give that chime? <laughs> Can anyone? Does anyone else remember that? Do do do, or whatever. <laughs>
2: I barely remember it. <laughs> I'm sorry, <What>? I don't.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, you guys just didn't watch television in the mornings or something? It's knowledge is power, essentially. So, I just made myself feel. like I have um, a hand up in the air and two like total leave me hanging moments, but that's okay. Okay. Moving on. Um, (laughs) We know that knowledge is important to accessing special education because as we were talking, you're in the driver's seat and you have to know where you're going. You need to know a little bit of the law. You need to know um, the individualized need of your child. And that was something our survey foundings, you know, really highlighted Um, our parents we're maybe not as familiar with things like Michelle mentioned before, the Military Interstate Children's Compact Commission, which is in place it's also known as MIC-3, in place to support uh, military students because of their mobility. But many parents aren't aware of it. But, you know, they were really, really familiar with what their child needed. That was one of the major qualitative findings in our survey. They knew the things that would ha- help their children. They just didn't know about the services that are in place by either the school system or available through the military that can help their kids. They either don't know about them or they decided not believing that they could do any make a difference in the outcome. And so we we made kind of like a little score. So we asked our families how much how familiar they were with various topics that related to special education and the exceptional family member program and uh, respondents got a score as being informed or uninformed based on their responses. Obviously, as I said, all parents had high levels of being informed about their the needs of their children, but when it came to the resources, this is what that informed score came from. And what we found was that there was a connection to being informed and positive outcomes. And obviously, you know, Data nerd to me can will say we cannot prove that it's a chicken or the egg. We can't know if families became informed after they had these experiences or they were informed before and then they had more positive outcomes. But there is a relationship there, making you know lending itself to some of the recommendations we're going to chat about in a second. But that finding was huge. Um, we we cited that the most familiar concept that they had was parental consent and. 20%. Only only 20% said that they were unfamiliar with that concept, meaning that there were, you know, at least 80% were either somewhat familiar or very familiar. But then when we get to things like recovery services, 73% said that they were not at all familiar with that. And then Military Interstate Children's Compact Commission was 80, 82% were not familiar. So we had a lot of mixed uh, levels of understanding of the supports that were available. So I am done with the data dump for now. Um, we will we will share in the show notes a little bit more the hard copy so people can take a look. But oh. you know that
2: that really goes along with what we always say. It's like you don't know what you don't know, and <laughs> there are, like you said, there are systems, laws, agreements that are in place for our kiddos, and our our families are not accessing them, or they've just given up on the fact that perhaps they, they're not going to really help them. You know, I think you had mentioned this before, Jen, is that, you know, our families are, are frustrated, and uh, resigned, you know, as far as what really is going to help them, you know, for their child's education journey, and uh, this military lifestyle, you know, has, it it impacts it in so many ways. And that's why we're here in Partners and Promises, try to you know, to try to make it better for our families, what can we do? What are those top level solutions? So I guess it's time for us maybe to tease our Easter Seals webinar. We're going to be talking about these results and Jen and the wonderful folks are going to be joining us. We'll do more of a deep dive on the the, the data and it's going to be February the 18th at 1 p.m. And I believe we're going to start advertising for that this week. Is that right, Jen? Uh, yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I, you know, by the time, hopefully by the time you're hearing this podcast, you will have seen more information about this. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. I
2: forgot about that. There's definitely a delay, but we're going to have some fantastic speakers. Our keynote speaker is Shireen Brown. She is the the spouse of the chief of the air force general CK Brown or CQ Brown, excuse me. And then we also have, um, Katie Neese joining us. She is the Assistant Secretary of the Office of Special Education and Rehabilitative Services. And so she'll be talking a little bit about what um, support systems they have in place to help our highly mobile military families. And so I think that's going to be a fantastic forum. We're also going to have some folks from Easter Seals join us. Also, Dr. Amy Schumann is going to be there as well. And she can talk a little bit more about the stories of our families. She did the, the qualitative deep dive into the data. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And uh, Jen, you have done a fantastic job with the survey team on this survey. And I'm really looking forward to you know having those conversations, especially with those who are also stakeholders in our community on how we can work together and um, look at some of these data points and see how we can further support our military families that have kids with special needs.
1: Yes, yes. Thank you, Jen, for all the hard work you did. Um, just to go back, I really love the analogy you used when you talked about like getting in the car and driving, almost like taking a road trip. Because that's using that analogy, I think a lot of our listeners will will get that when you go from state to state, traveling with your IEPs. It is absolutely true that every state is different. Every state has different laws. So that is something that everyone needs to know. And it's, it's frustrating for us because as the parents, we're starting over everywhere we, every time we move. So that analogy was great. And then just piggyback off of what Michelle said earlier when she said that she wasn't surprised with the numbers. I wasn't either, but I wasn't expecting them to be as high <laughs> you know it's crazy when you put stuff out in numbers when you actually see the data it's just like wow okay to know that 74% didn't file a complaint and the number one reason out of that 74% was that they didn't think it would help it it breaks my heart you know because as a as a military community as you know especially when it comes to special education for our kids you know, we should feel comfortable and we should know that, you know, there are services out there and we should be advocating for our kids. And yes, sometimes it can be frustrating and it can be stressful to the point do you just like, I'm done. But knowing that you have these resources available is key. So um, you guys, this was great. <laughs> just know though,
0: that like there are solutions. And so it, it isn't a matter of like, it is a data can be very depressing if you don't like couple it with some, you know, takeaways that are positive. And that's what our paper has done. And we were solutions based organization. It's great to, you know, okay, great. We've proven that that sound that you were hearing when the car was shimmying to the wrong side of the road was not a squeaky wheel. It was a systemic problem, right? it Okay. We've proven that, but that doesn't mean that the car is still not like I don't want to, I will go dramatic right now. I'm just going to go it because it's a podcast, right? This is not data, Jen. This is just like storytelling, Jen. Your car is careening off the road, right? It, and how do you get it back on track? Well, we have to fix the problems from, you know, the manufacturing line. So like, how do we do that? And so, you know, some of the recommendations, Michelle, can you tease some of those recommendations if you could like give it like real short summary? Because I, we'll, I know we'll deep dive into that elsewhere, but.
2: Well, I think, you know, If we look back at all the three major points, you know, how do we make these delays shorter? You know, that's the best first thing. We need to make sure our families are accessing that education as they're supposed to, as soon as they get to that new school district. So we're going to talk a little bit about data collection and how that might help us in working with the states. You know, how do we make sure that these supports that are there, such as advanced enrollment, can work To actually benefit our military families that have kids with special needs also we're talking about that you know centralized informed families need somewhere they can go to get that those resources to help them navigate you know state special education laws or even outcomes that are you know helpful for both the general ed students and the students that are in special education you know where can they go to get all of that information so they're as informed as possible. So that increases their positive education outcomes. We're gonna talk about possibly, you know, finding a location, a dashboard with all of that information per state, per county, per school district. And then also, you know, improving our representation in EFMP. You know, I think as we were talking about this, families are that resigned, they lost confidence in these programs. We need to make sure that they are able to continue to have their voices heard. Maybe we need to look into expanding that EFMP advisory panel and making sure that it is um, open to the public and that folks are aware of when they meet and be able to continue to, you know, provide their suggestions and just feel like they're an important part of the team. And uh, up until this point, I think that they feel like their voices have not been heard on a regular and consistent basis. So we'll talk a little bit about some of those, you know, big picture solutions. It's going to take uh, several other stakeholders to work, you know, on behalf of this. But I think the fact that The solutions that we're providing, Jen, is not only going to help those in special education, but it's going to help all military-connected children. And I think that is going to be the best piece about this, is that this has impacts across the military
1: community in general. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Jen, can you give us a little tease about future episodes?
0: Absolutely. And because we love data, like data is just essential for change, positive change, we are going to bring on in the rest of this uh, season of this podcast, we're going to intersperse stories and data. And we will go back to stigma because that was our, you know, I, I would say our baby, like that doesn't sound right, right? It's, <laughs> um, but it was our first topic that we talked about on this podcast. We'll go back there. But in this season, we're going to be talking with various nonprofits, military leadership to understand um, our people a little bit better through data. So we're going to talk with Blue Star Families. We're going to learn about food insecurity with MFAN, Military Family Advisory Network, right? Mary, you're a part of MFAN. <laughs> did yes, I, get the acro- I am. You did I get, did it I get right. the acronym? Yeah, okay, perfect. <laughs> I, was gonna, I know someone who is going to correct me properly. Um, okay, perfect. So we're going to talk about you know, the outcomes of food insecurity, or excuse me, the causal factors of food insecurity. We're going to talk about talk with the GAO who has done studies That were mandated by congress in the past uh, and and getting their opinions about what they learned about us from maybe a, a slightly more academic side but all of this goes to these data points are family stories right it's just we can't talk to each individual person but these data points are stories and so how can we take these what could be dry pieces of information and make them real And so I'm really excited to get to talk to all these leaders to get to know what they're working on and how we can all work together to kind of improve some of those outcomes for military families. So yeah, that's the thing. That's the season. (laughs) I love it, Jen.
2: I think that is very on brand. And um, again, you know, I think that if anything, just working with our resource partners and those in this military, that's actually part of our mission, right, is to be able to advise and educate within our military service organization, the veteran service organization community, and those who are in a position to make change. And so I think this is gonna be a great way to discuss what all of the, you know, important pieces of work that other military service organizations are doing. And let's collaborate, you know, because a lot of them do intersect with what we are doing as far as education goes. And so I'm excited about it. It's going to be great. And uh, you're a great podcast producer and host. And I think it's going to you know, be a really fun series for us this year. Hopefully Mary yes. can join. I want Mary to join more. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Just maybe nine if five. Um,
0: yes. In the morning.
1: <laughs> that that part, Michelle. <laughs> that part. <laughs> I need to get coffee after this. <laughs> oh yeah, you do, girl. <laughs> but it sounds like it's going to be some exciting stuff, exciting episodes in store, and I'm excited to be listening and hopefully be on some of these. But it was great having me up here today, Jen and Michelle. It was great talking to you guys. Likewise.
0: Thanks. It gives us some like context, you know. Have. Having... <laughs> we we need you (laughs) your podcast expertise and thank you for for joining from the hotel floor you know uh, displaced in hawaii so thank you for for joining
1: no problem thank you mary
0: (laughs) thanks for listening everybody uh we'll get back with you in in a couple weeks with more information and more data Do you want to help us tell more disruptive stories? Consider sponsoring an episode of the podcast. To learn more or ask questions, email info at partnersinpromise.org or connect with us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe today.